0: Welcome to Ominous Ones. I'm Tara.
1: And I'm Josh. And
0: I'm Alex. We're a true crime podcast that covers missing people, murders, and all things ominous. If you like what you hear, make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. This is the Lady of the Dunes case. It is kind of a well-known case, but as some people know, there's been a recent update, so we wanted to cover it. On July 26, 1974, in Provincetown, Massachusetts... A 12-year-old girl was out with her dog who seemed to be on a mission somewhere and he was barking. She followed the dog to a horrifying sight on Race Point Beach. She found a decomposing body of a woman. She was found face down on part of a beach blanket and was laying like someone had been on it with her. When I heard this case before, I always pictured her on a beach with like sand and the normal situation. But when you see pictures, it was more of, like, a wooded area and there was, like, bushes and trees around her. Her body was not far from a road and once investigators were on the scene, they found tire tracks 20 yards from her and two sets of footprints going toward the body. They said there was no sign of a struggle, but I'm like, how much of a sign would there be in that location? Like, it's not in a house where you can, like, knock stuff over. A big theory was maybe she was killed when she was sleeping because of missing signs of the struggle. But I'm like, again, not sure how there would be signs of it.
1: Well, she she probably knew who the attacker was anyway. If She's out like laying. She was on a blanket laying there. On a beach towel. A beach towel. Yeah. Well, beach towel might only be for one person.
0: She was found with a pair of Wrangler jeans and a blue bandana under her head like a makeshift pillow. After her autopsy, they concluded she could have died as long as two weeks before she was found. She was missing her hands, forearm, and some of her teeth. Her cause of death was blunt force trauma from possibly a quote, military type entrenching tool, and she had been strangled to the point she was almost decapitated. Which, I'm like, that must mean there was a weapon used, right? Like, mean, you can't strangle someone to de- decapitation. But they just said it looked like she was strangled to the point she was almost decapitated. And what's a
2: military whatever grade?
0: Entrenching tool? Yeah. Isn't that one of those things that's like a shovel with a pick on the side or something so you can like dig down?
1: Oh,
2: okay.
0: That's where I went, but that could be wrong.
1: I kept thinking bayonet.
0: That would be a rough weapon. (laughs) Yeah. So no weapons were found on the scene. They also found that she had been sexually assaulted while she was still alive. Flyers were passed around to help identify her, but they didn't get an answer from it. Her description was long brownish, reddish hair she had tied up in a ponytail. She was around five foot six, and her toenails were painted pink, and she was said to have an athletic build. She had a lot of dental work that they said would have been really expensive, they thought between five and ten thousand. She was between twenty five years old and forty, or twenty to forty nine years old, depending on which source you read.
1: That, that's quite a spread of years, and that's a lot of money for back then. Like in your teeth, that's a lot of money anytime, I guess, for your teeth. But in really,
0: nineteen
1: seventy four, yeah, like really, really, that's a lot.
0: Well, they were hoping it would help, but didn't get them very far. The killer seemed to be trying to hide her identity with removing her hands and some of her teeth. Especially with the dental work. So they were like, hmm, someone, it seemed like someone knew what they were doing. The dunes were searched for more evidence, but nothing was found. Thousands of missing person flyers, files were looked at, as well as cars that matched the tire tracks they found, but didn't lead to anything.
1: People that can afford that kind of dental, dental work
2: are people that are noticed when they're missing. Well, That's, that's what I, they thought. That's what I was going to say. I'm like, um... So, no one in that area was reported missing?
0: A lot of people were, but it wasn't her. like, something about it didn't match.
2: So, she was in her 20s. Did they go... Maybe. 20 or, to oh, 40. Hmm, could be 49. Okay, because I was going to say, did they, go, did they go around colleges to see, like, hey, any girls' college missing?
0: Yeah, they really searched a lot of places.
2: That is so weird. Like you said, someone that has enough money to put that much money into their teeth has to be from a well-off family.
0: Yeah, and someone would notice. She was buried in October of 1974, but they kept her skull out. Five years after she was found, in 1979, a clay reconstruction was made to help with her identity, but it didn't help at the time. The next year, in 1980, her body was exhumed, hoping that new technology would give them more clues to her identity, but it didn't help. They still kept the skull out though. I think they were going to do like another reconstruction or something. A lead came up in 1987 when a Canadian woman told someone she had watched her dad strangle a woman in 1972 in Massachusetts, but it seemed like that they didn't really try to find her or follow up, so that didn't go anywhere. A woman saw the first reconstruction of the unidentified woman And said she looked like her sister who had been missing from Boston since 1974, but that also didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that... The cops thought the unidentified woman could be Rory Jean Kessinger. Kessinger? Rory would have been around 25 at the time of the murder, and they weren't sure where she was because she'd broken out of jail in 1973. They thought Rory looked like the victim, but DNA was checked against Rory's mother, and it wasn't a match. Her DNA was also checked against Vicki Lamberton and Frances E. Walt, but they weren't matches. They were just two missing women from the area. In May of 2010, they wanted to do a new reconstruction. They took a CT scan of her skull, which was sent to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who made a new reconstructed image of her.
2: I just still think it's so weird that they just have someone's skull.
0: What, there's a case where they lost it. They kept the skull out to do all this. And then they were like, mm, we're not sure where we put that. And then they found it in like a different country or something, some medical thing. and they're Hey, isn't the, this that person's skull?
2: Yeah, I just don't think Whoops. that's so weird that they would keep just the skull.
0: I mean, it makes sense for the reconstruction, but it is weird.
1: Well, yeah, and the technology and stuff back then, I guess, you know, they had no hands to go off of or anything else. So might as well keep the skull. Yeah. Um, it's also kind of amazing to me that they can do the clay reconstruction thing, like the missing exploited children. That's where they're insane like, that they can know, do that. And how sometimes they can be so accurate. Where you're like, oh
0: man. Yeah, it really does look like them. It's yeah. crazy. In 2014, a case investigator knew that the coffin she was in would be in bad shape, so they raised money for a new one. So she was again exhumed and reburied in a new coffin. So now the movie Jaws comes into this. They had been shooting the movie... Didn't see that coming. Me neither. They had been shooting the movie 100 miles south of Provincetown on Martha's Vineyard in 1974. In 2015, Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, was watching the movie, and in the 4th of July scene, Joe noticed that one of the extras was wearing um, blue jeans and a blue bandana and thought that they really looked like the Reconstruction. The lead investigator said this was, quote, wild speculation, unquote, but they didn't keep track of extras in movies, so some people are like, that could have been her.
1: That
2: is so uh, weird. That was a
0: uh, random yeah. little spin. Yeah. yeah. All right. Five years later, in 2020, she was again exhumed so they could try new DNA and tech, the new technology with new DNA testing, but it didn't give them much more. So that she was exhumed four times, and we weren't any closer. Man,
1: no resting in peace. Yeah. So for this her. is nineteen seventy
0: four, but in twenty twenty two, they figured out who she was. All right. Her skeletal remains were taken to Othram. They made a DNA profile for her using investigative genealogy, and that was used to find her relatives. On Hawaii, ugh, on Halloween of twenty twenty two. The FBI out of Boston was able to finally identify her as Ruth Marie Terry. At that point, she was the oldest unidentified homicide in Massachusetts. The FBI wouldn't say why she was in Massachusetts or if there were any any suspects, but the case was still open as a homicide being investigated by the Massachusetts State Police. So we're going to go way back to Ruth.
2: So her, they said that they were able to do a DNA. So I'm assuming, did they say whose relatives? Like, meaning, like, nephews?
0: It ended up being her son tested to against hers, and it was a match.
2: Oh man!
1: so she was a mama. Uh, that's kind of crazy that it was, what, almost 40 years of no peace or rest or answer, especially for her son. And then also... Uh, I wonder how close that reconstruction was to her picture at the time.
0: And like if they, I can post it. and sec- they do a comparison.
2: And the second thing, though, is the son. So there must be a dad. There must be other family. What was the explanation of what happened to their mama? I'm going to get
1: why, into that. Why she's uh, not reporting okay. was,
2: yeah, yeah, You,
1: you know what was the papa? It's either love money or drugs
0: wasn't the papa. Ah, damn it.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, never mind. I don't want to talk about it.
0: (laughs) Ruth was born September eighth, nineteen 1936 in Whitwell, Tennessee. She would have been 37 when she was killed in July of 1974. Her parents were Eva and Johnny Terry. Eva died when she was only 23. In 1957, Ruth, who had just gotten out of a short marriage to a guy named, I think, Billy Ray Smith, Then she left her hometown in Whitwell and moved to Livonia, Michigan to work at Fisher Body and Automotive Plant. I say I think that was his name because I'm not sure if they didn't know if they were married or that was his first name or what. It was kind of vague. But she was going as Ruth Smith when she moved. So that's another thing why they think that they could have been married. The next year, in 1958, she had a son named Richard, but she was broke, so her superintendent at work offered to adopt her son. She agreed, and he paid all of her medical bills. Ruth then decided to move again, this time to California. In 1972, Ruth tried to meet her son, but he had just gotten out of a coma after a drug overdose and said he wasn't ready to meet her. On February 16th, 1974, she met and married an antiques dealer in Reno, Nevada, named Guy Moldavin.
2: Reno, Nevada.
0: So that's why it wasn't the papa, because they don't say who the son's dad is, but as soon as she had him, her superintendent adopted him. Oh, okay. But yeah, they don't even say who his dad is. But yeah, Reno, Nevada.
2: That's crazy. She's, Ruth traveled the world, or traveled the country.
0: She did, and she was like, mm, I'm going to go to California.
1: I'm a little impulsive, but, you know,
0: that's all right. Four months before she was found dead, Ruth and Guy went to see her family in Tennessee. Her family said she, quote, wasn't herself, unquote, when she was with Guy, who was said to be very controlling. The couple told her family they were traveling the U.S. looking for antiques for Guy's business. They also said Ruth said they would be going to Massachusetts specifically. In 1974, the same year they were married and her body was found, Guy went back to her family's house alone this time and said she disappeared from their home in California. He stayed there for just a minute at their house and said she was missing. He wasn't sure what happened. I was like, okay, bye. That's weird. Ruth's brother, James, hired a P.I. in California and also went there himself to try to find Ruth. The P.I. told James that he had concluded she had stole all her stuff and left with a religious cult of her own free will. 20 years before she was identified, she was listed as deceased because of that. Carol, Ruth's sister-in-law, said her theory was Ruth was put into witness protection and that's why that she never contacted him again. So everyone had wild theories.
2: Yeah, because I'm like, where would she get a theory that? Why would she go into witness protection?
0: That was all she said. I think she's in witness protection. And the other guy was like, "Well, she's with a religious cult." So, and the courts were like, "Okay, we'll call her deceased." So back to November of 2022, two days after she was identified, the MSP said they wanted info on Guy Rockwell Moldavin, but he had died in 2002. And he has quite the past. He went by several names in his lifetime. Raul Guy Rockwell, Guy Moldavin Rockwell, and Raul Guy Moldavin. I'm going to call him Guy. So Guy was once an orphan who was adopted by Abram Albert Zadwaransky Moldavin and Sylvia Silverblatt who went by Lily. He had a brother named Michael Semon J. Moldavin. In 1942, Guy was in Manhattan attending the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. He was in the military for a minute, but was disqualified from the Second World War over a mastoid infection. Whatever that means. He married Joellen May Loop in Bellevue, Pennsylvania on May 11th, 1946. At that time, he was working as a professor, not sure what of, the couple moved a lot. They lived in California, New York, and Washington. At some point, he changed his job from professor to DJ. All right. That's a normal transition.
2: Spinning those records. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. In June of 1950, Guy was a suspect in the murder of a 28-year-old bread truck driver named Henry Lawrence Baird who went by Red and also the disappearance of Red's 17-year-old girlfriend Barbara Joe Kelly. Barbara was last seen by someone on June 17, 1950, in Humboldt County. Red lived in Eureka, California, and Barbara lived in Fortuna, California. On June 17th, the couple were going out together, and then the next day Red was found with a gunshot wound to the back of his head, laying face down on a beach by Table Bluff. What?
1: what? By the beach? Mm-hmm. How yeah. is, is this like a, a pattern an mo is that like hmm?
0: it's the only connection oh. between that okay but maybe it was this thing red was naked except his socks and shoes but his clothes were near his body along with barbara's clothes minus her shoes and stockings barbara was never seen again they assumed obviously that whoever had killed red had taken barbara with them Barbara had a connection to Guy. He was living with his first wife's parents who owned one of two restaurants in Fortuna where Barbara worked along with Guy. Red delivered bread to the restaurant, so all three were connected through that. Guy and Barbara were divorced 10 years later on July 16, 1956. Guy married again on September thirtieth, in 1958 in Idaho to Manzanita Aileen Ryan who went by Manzi. She brought a daughter to the marriage from previous marriage. Her daughter was Dolores Ann Mearns. The mother and daughter disappeared from Seattle, Washington on April 1st in 1960. Guy was the main suspect in their disappearances. He left Seattle, but the FBI found him and charged him with, quote, unlawful flight to avoid giving testimony, unquote, in relation to their disappearances. And then, I don't think, he was never charged with it, but I think he just gave his testimony and then left. (laughs) Anne Roll, a true crime writer, wrote about Guy in her 2007 book, Smoke, Mirrors, and Murder. In it, she wrote about the cops finding, quote, dismembered human body parts in a septic tank, unquote. But they couldn't link him to the, like, body parts to the missing mother and daughter. In the end, he was never charged in their disappearances because the King County prosecutor said that he didn't want to go after him if they didn't have their bodies.
1: Holy hell. Yeah.
0: I'm like, even if they couldn't identify that as the mother and daughter, I feel like there's still questions on why there's body parts in your septic tank. Yeah. Like, maybe that should be figured Uh, out.
1: uh, It's kind of crazy how these people almost get away with... He did get away with murder. I yeah. feel like how many times?
0: Guy's yeah, got quite the record. Shortly after that, he faced a new charge: larceny for stealing ten grand from Manzi's family. In 1961, he was sentenced to no more than fifteen years. But a year later, a judge dropped the sentence if he said he would repay the ten grand. The same year, in 1961, Guy married a new woman. On July 29th, he married Evelyn Marie Emerson in King County, Washington. For some reason, there's records they got married again in L.A. three years later on August 10th, 1963. But they don't say why they were married again. Like if they had gotten divorced and remarried or they were renewing vows or what. But he married her twice.
2: Huh. that's weird.
1: He's a busy man with all these marriages.
0: And he moves a lot. So, not sure what happened with Evelyn, but Guy got married again in February of 1974 in Reno, Nevada to someone who went by Terry. But as I mentioned before, after she was identified, we now know that it was Ruth Marie Terry. And in 1974, we know what happened to Ruth. Then in 1976, two years after he married Terry in Reno and she went missing, Guy moved again to Salinas, California. The next thing I could find on Guy was from 1985. He had an article written about him where he said he was retired as a VP in a silver store located in Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive. He said that after retiring, he was working as a volunteer DJ for KAZU in Pacific Grove. His call-in show was called Aging, Growing, and Making Transitions. He was also working in Carmel at a smoke shop.
2: He was a busy person, and he moved a lot. Yeah,
0: he got married a bunch of times and moved and killed, like, what, four people, allegedly?
1: Many different professions. Yeah, professor. Professor,
0: DJ, antiques dealer, silver store VP. His obituary was put out in Salinas and said he died of a, quote, lengthy illness, so it seemed like he stayed in Salinas until he died in 2002. It said he was born in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and was survived by his sister, Joanne Towers of Salinas, and his wife, Phyllis Moldaven. So he married at least one more person after Terry. Also not sure where the sister came from, because when he was adopted, it just mentioned his brother, but who knows with him.
2: How does that happen, though? Like, if you're married and your wife gets killed, which no one knows about, like, can you just divorce? And even though the second person can't sign... To say, like, oh, I'm I'm agreeing with this divorce?
0: Yeah, I think at some point it's... If someone doesn't show up to court for the divorce, I don't know how long it is, eventually it's got to be granted, I think. Oh, for, like, no contest or whatever that's called. Plus, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, I don't think they cared. So, besides Guy, there were three other spe- suspects for Ruth's murder. One was Tony Costa, who was a serial killer near Provincetown. He was eliminated once they figured out that he was already dead before they found her body. Next was Whitey Bulger, the mobster. One of his MOs was taking victim's teeth, but besides that and the area, there wasn't a link. Lastly was Hayden Clark. He confessed to murdering her and said, quote, I could have told the police what her name was, but after they beat the shit out of me, I wasn't going to tell them shit. This murder is still unsolved, and what the police are looking for is in my grandfather's garden,
1: was the garden checked? Didn't say. Uh-huh.
0: In 2000, Hayden told the cops he could take them to a spot where 20 years before, he had buried two victims and said that he had killed a few people between the 70s and 90s. Ginn couldn't find if they checked the spot or if he took them there. In 2004, he sent someone a letter saying he had murdered a woman in Cape Cod and sent this person drawings of a naked woman laying face down, missing her hands, and also a map that fit where the body was found. Hmm. He was a paranoid schizophrenic, and they didn't believe everything he said, since it seemed like he lied on a lot of that. So I think if they would have found bodies and what he said was true, it would have been mentioned.
2: But how would he have known about her body and her eyes? Was that something that was out in public?
0: Yeah, because it was in 74 and this was in the 2000s. So people knew what she was missing and where she was. So they didn't run with it. In November of 2022, Ruth's son, Richard Hanchett, who's now 65, told the New York Times that he always heard his biological mom was beautiful and loved to sing and that she was, quote, just a really nice person, unquote. Richard was wanting to find his mom and her family in 2018, so he took a DNA test on Ancestry. He met her family in Tennessee who told him she had been missing since the 70s and they had always been looking for her. Richard was the one who gave DNA confirming the Lady of the Dunes was his biological mom, Ruth. He said, quote, I couldn't believe when I found out who she was and now I'm finding out where she was and what happened, unquote. Marilyn Renee Hill, who I... was related to Ruth's first husband, if they were married, said that she tried her whole life to find Ruth, eventually getting with Richard to work together on finding her. Sadly, she passed away before Ruth was identified.
2: Oh, that sucks. Yeah.
0: Richard's plan now is to have Ruth's body moved and buried with her parents in Tennessee.
1: Oh, that's, oh, that's good. nice. Finally, a a forever resting place for her? I mean... Man, four times is enough to be, like, you know, dug up and all that.
0: Yeah, and have a tombstone with her name put on it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the case. Thanks for listening.